couple things I want to point out and insert in your bulletin this week, which I hadn't done an insert in a while. On one side is a, a statement that Dr. Tony Evans, a pastor, wrote about cultivating a heart of gratitude. It's an interesting read, so I want to encourage you to read that sometime. And he, he asks a question at the end. And then on the back is just a, a really short devotional for each week of Advent, basically just a, a scripture to read. And I don't know if, you're, if you enjoy these kinds of things, but there are a lot of good devotionals out there and certainly a lot of good devotionals for Advent and also, again, for Lent. Um, here's one that I found online. I printed it to make it pretty. This is what Sherry and I are going to be doing in the evenings. Um, but there's things like this online, and I'd be happy to, to send you an email with this as an attachment or uh, direct you to another place if you want to find one. There's ones that are, you do one a night, you do one a week, whatever it is. Sometimes they're just scriptures to read. Sometimes there's a commentary. Sometimes there's question and answer. So find something that's good for you. And, and Advent is, is a season of preparation. And so things like this, just like with Lent, it's, it's great to just immerse yourself in that or at least get a, a little exposure every day as we move closer and closer to the birth of Christ. Sunday, November 28th, and I don't know if anybody else breathes a sigh of relief after Thanksgiving, right? I mean, we, we got off easy, but my poor daughter and her husband and little Olivia, this is her first, uh, her first Thanksgiving. I think she had four or five on Thanksgiving Day. And so on Friday, we didn't even call them because I know they were just exhausted from stiff-arming all the, the baby handlers. Um, and uh, so, you know, we were, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief, right? When it builds and builds and then you just... So it's behind us now, right? It's wrong because it's a trick question. I want to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In fact, it says for we are to continue to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful, which means alert and vigilant and thankful. That's from Colossians 4, 2. Thanksgiving isn't about just a day and being done. In fact, if we do that and then there's a letdown, then we've really let ourselves down as well. As I shared in, in the annual report to the congregation, next year's focus is going to be on intentionality. And as a church, we're going to be conspicuous in our faith and intentional in our ministry, both outside the walls, inside the walls, and inside our own hearts. And we will not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word and if we commit to this, I have no doubt that we will be blessed and serve as many blessings to many, many other people. So being intentional means that we aren't going to let the spirit of thanksgiving build and build and build and then on November 25th approaches and then nothing. We aren't going to honor Lent for 40 days and celebrate Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, get all excited for Easter, have a great morning service and then Nothing. And we are certainly aren't going to recognize the Advent season, which starts today, and then treat December 26th like it was any other Sunday. And we, to that point, I like that Christmas falls on a Saturday this year. This will be a good exercise for us. While the world is already packing away the decor and returning undesirable gifts, we'll be meeting in this room on Sunday morning. And I'll be delivering a Christmas message titled Beyond the Manger. And we're going to celebrate the birth of Savior a day late, but from that day forward. And we're going to do this intentionally. 
This week is the first Sunday of Advent, a season of preparation as the world looks forward to the coming of the Christ child. And the word itself means arrival. How beautiful is that word, arrival? Our Savior isn't saying, ready or not, here I come, world. He's not going to just show up haphazardly. No, the Christ child was born into this world. He was given the name Jesus, and they called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the angels proclaim the Messiah has arrived. The theme of this first week of Advent is hope. And in keeping with my commitment to finish out this year referencing the nature of God as revealed through the books of the First Testament, we're going to view hope as it relates to God the Father while we're still anticipating the arrival of Christ the Son. In English, hope is somewhat of an abstract idea, and we, we've certainly softened its meaning. We, we hope for stuff, especially this time of year, right? I hope I get this. We hope for things to happen. I, I hope everybody gets along. And we hope to experience things, right? I hope we get to go do Christmas in the park this year. Actually, honey, I don't. I hate that thing. Um, not down here. The Versailles one's very nice. The one up there is a train wreck. Um, and all this, sorry, I came way off script. And all of this is different than the hope we have as Christians. The word for hope in Hebrew is tikva. Yes, I'm still in my Hebrew hermeneutics class, and I'm bringing my knowledge to you. Tikva is the word. It means expectation. And interestingly enough, it also means a cord or a rope. Okay, there's a couple meanings. Tikva comes from a root word that means to bind or to wait for. So you can see how this was interpreted, the word hope, as it appears in the Bible. Tikva, hope, is a rope that we can hang on to when the world seems out of control or when we don't know how to make it through a difficult circumstance or season in life. We're familiar with the words found in Jeremiah 29, 11, but I'm gonna put it in context for us. Jerusalem had fallen, okay? The, the Israelites, they had this, this promised land. They, Jerusalem had fallen. The Israelites were exiled from the promised land and they're held in captivity in Babylon. And they were miserable and they're wondering why the God that had rescued them from Egypt had allowed all of this to happen. His reply through the prophet Jeremiah was this. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And here's the part you know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you hope, or I'm sorry, to give you a future and a hope. And the word here is tikva, to give you that kind of hope. The same Hebrew word is found in 70, Psalm 71.5. It's David who writes, in his older years, he's writing a statement to God. He says, for you have been my hope, my tikva, sovereign God, my, my confidence since my youth. And this morning, we're gonna look at a reason for the hope we have. The tikva hope is because our God is a God of covenant promises and he is a promise keeper. Now I know covenants are relationships God establishes with people on the basis of his promises. We can make promises to each other and we can draft agreements and contracts, but only God can initiate a covenant. Typically, they contain a promise that will be fulfilled if the people remain faithful to him. This is that same scenario. If we, then he. God's loving nature is revealed not only through the initiation of these covenants, but also when the people, we the people, don't abide by them, when we don't do our part, if we don't do the if, but God never abandons us. 
That's a revelation of his love. Israel turned away from God many times, but they were never abandoned by God. Each time they fell upon hardship, famines, exile, enslavement. And each time they cried out to the Lord, deliver us. And as they returned to God, he responded with a person to rescue them. The cycle happened time after time, and, and it's known as a Deuteronomic cycle. Jerry, would you do the slide? You can kind of see how this Israel's faithful, and then they, they sin, and then they're oppressed, and they cry out, and God sends their liver, and they, their faith is restored. Not because they didn't have faith in God, but they become faithful to the covenant. Exodus 2.23 captures, says the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because their slavery went up to God. Exodus 3.9 again, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Okay, would you do one next one? This continued on into the first Testament book of the Judges. Israel serves the Lord. They fall out of, they fall into sin and idolatry. They, they're enslaved. They cry out. God raises up as a judge by title now. Okay? And Israel's delivered. Judges 3.9. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother who saved them. Judges 6, 7 through 10. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt. There's the promise. And out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Not yet. First Samuel 7, 2, B through 9 also tells the stories of the judges. It says, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Yes, our faith, they've become faithful again. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts and rid yourself of the foreign gods. And they did that. And they put away their Baal and their Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, assemble all the all of Israel at Mitzvah. And he said, I will intercede for the Lord for you. And jumping forward to verse seven, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled in Mitzvah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines, they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered them. That's the cycle. This is God's faithfulness to this covenant promise, even when we break our part. Good. Sure. And the cycle remains true today because God has not revoked the covenant and he certainly has not abandoned us. Can we say the same thing about our part of the covenant? Remember, if we, then he. You know, this talks about infidelity, and the word infidelity, as it's used in the Bible, talks more about an unfaithfulness to a committed partner, right? We think of infidelity as adultery, and certainly that is unfaithfulness to a partner, but the word in the Bible is used differently. This is not the same word that's used for the thou shalt nots. This talks about breaking our faith in a committed partner, our relationship with God. And Christians are also children of the covenants and heirs through hope of the promise they contain. Some covenant promises remain to be fulfilled in the future. 
including the reign of eternal peace and the conversion of the full number of children of Israel to Christ. These are still things yet to come. In Paul's letter to the early church in Romans, he starts chapter 11 like this. Did God reject his people? He says, by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God now reject his people whom he foreknew. He goes on to explain verses 11 through 32, how we are all engrafted branches of this covenant. That's a good read. If you want to say, was God's covenant account for us too, then read that. Verses 11 through 32 of Romans chapter 11. Now look at the image on the screen here. There are several places the cycle can be broken. You know, they got peace, infidelity, punishment, repentance, and redemption, says through Messiah. We can stop sinning, and I think that would be God's choice for us, right? I think that what he would say, he'd prefer that we stop with the, the infidelity, we stop with the sinning. We can also stop crying out to God for help, and I don't think he wants us to stop doing that, and I don't think we can afford to stop doing that. God can stop rescuing us and forgiving us. Well, he's promised not to, but he could do that. And the covenant can be broken by God. Well, again, he keeps his promises. The other answer is the covenant can be fulfilled by God. Sherry, would you flip the slide? It can break like this. Theologian Gerald Bray offers this commentary on the covenants. And as you can see, the day of the Lord comes and, and you know, the kingdom of God reigns. But there, the theologian Gerald Bray says, how many covenants there are has been a matter of debate. From the earliest times, there was a general agreement that the coming of Christ ushered in a new covenantal era. But the Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ, not abolished. The cycle remains. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the rescuer. Theologians have therefore said that there is only one covenant people covered in both Testaments that is worked out of administration in different ways. The Old Testament is said to be an administration of the law while the new or the renewed covenant is an administration of grace, a covenant of grace. You see, from the beginning, God has chosen in freedom because he has the authority and the power to do it. He has done us in freedom and love to relate to his creation by way of a covenant, a solemn, unilaterally forged bond of promise where God extends himself to the world graciously in expectation of just obedience. The covenant is no mere contract, but a relationship where God neither distances himself from the world like a pagan deity, like I am above you, right? He's down with us. Nor does he overcome the freedom and just rain down on us and forces us, right? And this is a fine balance of God's sovereign power and his gift of our free will. Romans 5 implies that Adam was the head of the entire human race in his early life in the Garden of Eden. His choices and actions were determinative for all creaturely existence, right? Therefore, the benefactor of the creation covenant is all of humanity. If God came to make the world a wonderful place to bless and for man to, to reign over, that is including you. This covenant was broken by Adam and was ultimately fulfilled by Christ, the promised seed of Adam and Eve. As described in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, we've heard that before, but listen to it in the context of this original covenant that we've been breaking. And as you know, the fulfillment of the creation covenant comes much later in the story of the Bible with Jesus. 
Christian theology of, throughout the centuries has expressed that all of humanity is born under this curse, right? We call this the original sin. Because of the fallen human condition, because of our humanity and our free will, we deserve the justice of God. We, ju- we just deserve his judgment. Proverbs 10, 16 says, the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. And the apostle Paul rewrites this differently, says the wages of sin is death. Now, where's the hope in this? We're all sinners. We're all relying on God to keep his promise. Boy, I hope he keeps his promise. We know with hope he will keep his promise. How can God be a covenant maker and a promise keeper that hinges on provisions that we haven't upheld? Is there truly any hope for us sinners? Yes, yes. The hope for humanity is that God was pleased to establish another covenant, a covenant of grace. There is one who did fulfill the demands of the moral order, the command of God to act righteously under the covenant of creation. That is Jesus Christ. The covenant of grace is extended to humanity because Jesus Christ fulfilled the demands of that first commandment with his earthly life. The facets of this new covenant are developed through a series of covenants found in the First Testament. Okay? There's a series of these. Abraham was given a covenant rooted in justification by faith. The promises of the covenant came to be summed up in the statement, I will be your God and you will be my people. In other words, the covenant of grace removes the barrier between God and his people that was constructed by sin. This barrier that we built ourselves with our actions. All the benefits of salvation, including eternal life, are secured through the covenant of grace now. And we must recognize and remember that faith in no way merits the blessings of the covenant. Rather, faith is an instrument for receiving the blessings of the covenant. By faith, we receive these. And this is what makes it grace. Later, this covenant was renewed with God's people under Moses who also gave them the law to govern their life as God's people and to show them their need for Christ. You ever thought about that? The reason there were these laws isn't just so we can live upright lives, yes, but to establish, boy, we can't do it. We gotta have a savior. Gotta have a savior. God made the Mosaic covenant with the nation of Israel. This is an interesting statement since Israel at the time was not really a nation per se. Promises of the Mosaic Covenant are closely linked with that of Abraham. God had promised to make Abraham into a great nation. And God delivered the nation of Israel through Egypt in remembrance of that covenant. And I've got scriptures I'll reference later on this. In this Mosaic Covenant, God promised the Israelites that they would be a special nation to him among the nations of the earth. That he would be their God and he would dwell among them. God also promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to the nations. And God, therefore, intended for Israel to bless the nations by serving a priestly role to them. Israel is supposed to draw the nations to God. God also promised blessing to the nation of Israel if Israel, if they obeyed the commands of the Lord within the covenant. Now we find Paul's explanation of the exclusion of others in the covenant in the, in the covenant. We find this in Galatians 3, beginning at verse 16. He says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now listen to how Paul describes this. He says, scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed. And this is a reference to the passage found in Genesis. And to your seed, meaning one person that is in Christ. Paul continues in verse 17. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later 
does not, I'm sorry, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. The law wasn't done away with, the promise doesn't away with, the covenant is still in full force. He says, for if the inheritance depended on the law, it would no longer depend on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promises referred had come. You know, when God had enough, he just wanted to start over. And so he, he picked Noah, an upright man, and he said, he's the most upright man of the time. Now, remember, God was so frustrated with how mankind had done that he found the, the best of them. And I don't know if that's really a compliment, right? You're the, he's the best of all the bad people. But he decided to save him. And remember, he made this covenant, this covenant that is a, a barat oklas, an everlasting covenant. I said that wrong, and now it sounds German. But it's Hebrew. <laughs> but it was an everlasting covenant for all people. Okay? He made this promise. Now, how was God the promise keeper who said, I will never again destroy the earth for being so rotten? And I, you could, I don't know if we're as rotten as, we, as God thought we were then. But we certainly aren't 100% pure people. So he had to have another way to keep his promise and still fulfill this. And that's through Jesus. So it's Paul who concludes the chapter that we're reading with these words of hope. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So scripture says that this covenant was made for you and to you. There was a further renewal in the time of David when he was promised not only a kingdom, but also heirs that would rule over it forever. And this is found in 2 Samuel 7. And Jesus Christ came from the family of David. We did this lineage a couple weeks ago. The covenants and their administrations have found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not only the prophet of a new order, but also the word. He came to speak about himself and how all God's promises find their fulfillment in him. And he's not only a priest of the Mosaic law, but also the blameless sacrificial victim who was offered up for the sins of the world. And finally, Christ is the king, the son of David, and his people are united to him in his body, which is his kingdom. When I had this slide up a minute ago, that was the, the way that that was fulfilled through this coming of the king. And the limitations of the old administration of the works under Moses have been overcome. And what was formerly manifested only in the world is now fulfilled in heaven as a reminder of God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. You know, there is significance in this covenant to Jesus' earthly ministry. The central theme of Jesus' preaching was the coming kingdom of God. The coming kingdom of God is not God's sovereign reign over all things. He's not saying someday God will be in control because that has never stopped. God has always been in control. The reign Jesus announced has got to be this one of the Davidic covenant. The one that says the reign of man over the earth under God's greater reign over everything. Circling back to the creation covenant, Genesis 1.28 records God's words to Adam and Eve. It said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Full circle. This is the restoration of the original covenant God made with his creatures that he created. Again, it's this theologian, Gerald Bray, that offers this commentary. The new covenant made by God with his people was ratified at the cross of Christ. It secures the gift of the spirit. It transforms hearts and it brings to completion the entire divine plan of redemption. Our hope is found in the covenants made by God for the benefit of his people. This includes provisions related to your individual salvation. The law will be written on your heart rather than on stone. All are in the covenant know the Lord and God will forgive the sins of those who know the covenant and the Holy Spirit will dwell in those and the Spirit will enable those who are in the covenant. And the ultimate goal is for God to be our God and for us to be his people. If we, if just if we. Friends, that's a lot of information to process through a lot of stuff at you this morning. And, and I, I tried to balance the points of the message with a, an amount of scripture to support it in the context, but I couldn't share everything possibly that there is to know about God's covenant promise as a source of hope. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I never do. I want you to take God's word for it. Read for yourself and seek answers to your questions. And of course, reach out to me if you have them. It's my pleasure and it's my responsibility to guide you as you seek God. And, and it's a shared responsibility of this church to support you along this journey, whatever that looks like. I have all the scriptures that, that I referred to as I was doing some bullet points, so be happy to share that. That's not my words. It's not my opinion. There's some commentary in there, but it's God's sovereign promise that he has made time after time after time. They don't compete. They add to, they embellish, they explain and it comes a full cycle at the end when Jesus comes as the Messiah we cry out to, the kingdom is restored, and that original covenant between God and man and woman is restored. If you're struggling to find hope in this Advent season, then I certainly want to hear from you. Let's discover the hope that God has intended for you to have that is just waiting for you to say, yes, let's pray. Father God, creator of all and the source of our hope, you have made promises waiting for us to redeem if we would just redeem them. You long to have a deep and personal relationship with every single person in the world, not just those here this morning, not just those listening online, but every single creature you've created, you long to have this deep and personal relationship with. You don't break your promises. So when we break our covenant with you, Lord, you wait for us. And when we cry out and say, Lord, deliver us. Lord, rescue me from this situation. Lord, restore my faith. You send a rescuer, a deliverer. Sometimes it's an Abraham, it's a Moses. Sometimes it's a friend or a spouse. But when the end comes, it'll be your son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who returns. And when that promise is fulfilled, when all these covenants come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, then we are restored in that relationship with you that you so desperately want, that we so desperately need. Lord, we thank you for that hope. Lord, would you please move in our hearts this week? Would you please blast out of the way? Would you please chisel away at anything that robs us of any joy or hope this, this week, this Advent season? So there's nothing gets in the way of this anticipated excitement 
for the arrival of your son, Jesus Christ, in the world, our Lord and our Savior. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.